You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Coup d'etat and social media. Forget the radio station. Get the Twitter feeds. The United Cyber Caliphate and the competing peace brigades release overlapping and competing target lists. Hacktivism in Eastern Europe likes neither Russia nor NATO. Delilah is a backdoor Trojan built for blackmail. Wildfire ransomware looks like the work of the Russian mob. Some purported databases for prominent sale in the dark web look like junk. And of course, Pokemon Go looks like the biggest mania since the 17th century's tulip craze. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, July 18, 2016. Turkey's President Erdogan seems firmly in the saddle as his government puts down an apparent coup d'etat over the weekend. A purge of both the judiciary and security forces is in progress. Those who are said to have attempted to depose the president are said to have seized some mass communication media, but they either overlooked or were unable to cope with Twitter. The entire incident was tracked by tweets, which is ironic at best given the Erdogan administration's ambivalence about social media and its periodic efforts to rein them in. The government's use of Twitter seems to have significantly contributed to the president's ability to prevail over the attempt. We'll be watching for hacktivist or state-sponsored operations in response to the coup. For now, however, such activity seems limited. Terbium Labs has told us that they observed signs of one Turkish group breaching and exposing a Russian government database over the weekend, which they view as in line with long-standing Turkish efforts to push back against both Islamist and Russian influence, insofar as such affects regional stability. ISIS names more people in the U.S. and elsewhere as targets, marking them by name as crusaders and encouraging the caliphate's followers to strike them. The announcement was made online by the United Cyber Caliphate, ISIS's nominal cyberspace arm. Iraqi Shiite leader Motada el-Sadar, whose peace brigades have fought the prominently Sunni forces of ISIS, has also announced some new and perhaps unexpected targeting. He advises that he will consider U.S. forces deploying to the region to fight ISIS targets. These statements, widely disseminated online, coming as they do after recent terror attacks, leads analysts to wrestle with the difficulty of distinguishing terrorists from people who are, as the New York Times calls them, simply deranged. Some think terrorist is used tendentiously and too expansively, but others argue that, given ISIS and similar groups' calculated appeal to the disaffected, the unsuccessful and unstable, a distinction without a difference. 
In other nationalist hacktivism, a Ukrainian nationalist faction, anti-Russian but not happy about NATO either, claims responsibility for a cyber attack on Poland's defense ministry. Diskin Advanced Technologies reports on Delilah, a backdoor Trojan criminals are using to infect and blackmail employees who visit adult or gaming sites. It collects information about the employees' dodgy surfing, then recruits the victims to steal and report corporate information. Failure to comply results in exposure. The insider threat comprises one aspect of cyber risk. There was much discussion last week at Cynet's Innovation Summit of Risk Management. Today we'll hear from Deloitte's Emily Mossberg, who talked us through her firm's latest report on cyber risk, Beneath the Surface. She told us that many conversations about cyber risk were only seeing part of the picture. There was a lot of dialogue focused on how do you quantify um, a breach of personally identifiable information and a lot of focus on the notification and customer protection mechanisms following a breach of personally identifiable information. But we knew through working with our base of clients that there really were a number of broader impacts that they were experiencing that really didn't seem to be part of the current equation. The report organizes potential impacts from a cyber breach into two main categories, above the surface and below the surface, and uses a metaphor of an iceberg to illustrate the concept. Above the surface risks include things like the technical investigation, public relations, regulatory compliance, and attorney's fees. But it's the below the surface factors that Mossberg says aren't getting the attention they deserve. Things that were not typically talked about. And that included things like the the value of lost intellectual property. Not that um, a breach of intellectual property is never contemplated, but we hadn't seen a real value or calculation related to what that might mean to an organization. Things like loss of contract value, as well as lost customer relationships. Then we have things like operational disruption and destruction. Again, most of the conversation around breach and incidents revolves around a breach of information. There hasn't been as much focus on what are the true costs if part of the business is unable to function or there is a true disruption of service. The report makes the case that while the the above-the-surface risks get the most attention, it's actually the the below-the-surface ones that can be the most costly. 90% or greater of the total impact ends up being beneath the surface. And and so what, what that really compels organizations to do is to, one, think about this problem a little bit differently than they've been thinking about it before, and look to additional mitigation strategies as it relates to how they secure the assets, how they monitor those assets, and how they plan to respond when they actually have an an incident. Mossberg says she hopes the report spurs conversations among stakeholders. How do we start to change the way that we talk about this and think about this to align more with a broader enterprise risk management strategy so that we're doing scenario planning around cyber risk similar to the way in which we're doing scenario planning for broader enterprise risk management? That's Emily Mossberg from Deloitte. The report is titled Beneath the Surface of a Cyber Attack. And a program note, you can hear more from Emily Mossberg and other experts in our upcoming special edition, Quantifying Cyber Risk, which will be published July 19th. Ransomware continues its romp through corporate networks. 
Cisco OpenDNS researchers have uncovered a new variant, they're calling it wildfire, that appears on internal evidence to be the work of Russian organized crime. Several vendors are working on answers to the ransomware threat. We heard at Cynet's Innovation Summit that big customers are also big integrators of security products, often trying to pull together dozens of different solutions. Later on this podcast, we'll hear from Quintessence Lab's John Lisabor, who talk us through the interoperability challenges this situation presents. Even as new threats appear, old malware variants still comprise the dominant forms of malicious code in circulation. Configure still holds its lead by a comfortable margin, with Sality trailing in second place. Relative newcomer mobile malware Hummingbird has risen into third place, at least as Checkpoint sees the leaderboard. More files purporting to be stolen databases are for sale on the dark web, but some of them are more sizzle than steak, or if you prefer, more hat than cattle. A widely reported Amazon Kindle credential database being hawked in one of the black markets, for example, struck many at the time of its discovery as largely bogus, and we've received some confirmation today from Terbium Labs that those suspicions are well-founded. To them, it looks like junk, mostly, a bot database. The backtraces, they said, are from something running in Azure and running a Selenium crawler, presumably to download free Kindle books. Pokemon Go now amounts to both a cyber-physical security phenomenon and the latest chapter in the history of the madness of crowds. The game is wildly popular, and if the videos we're seeing of self-organized mobs of Pokemon trainers surging through public parks is any indication, it's at least as popular among adults as it is among children. One such herd was observed stampeding after Vaporeon. This struck our technical editor as surprising, given that you can evolve Vaporeon on your own. We hasten to reassure the suits that our technical editor heard this from someone else, we think. Not that he's like playing Pokemon on company time or anything like that. And there's plenty of other Pokemon Go news you can use, not the least of which are the emergence of a large number of malicious and bogus Pokemon Go apps that will snare the unwary. So download with caution. And please do watch where you're going as you pursue the Pokemon. Joint Base Lewis McCord, for example, near Seattle, has asked trainers not to chase Pokemon into sensitive areas of the base. You're welcome, General Lanza. Some people, however, we encourage to follow where the Pokemon lead, especially if you're in Manchester, New Hampshire, where the police department has helpfully notified a number of wanted felons that a Charizard, a freaking Charizard, has been spotted inside their main station. Go get them, Granite State's most wanted. And Manchester PD, catch them all. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm joined once again by John Lisabar. He's the CTO at Quintessence Labs, one of our academic and research partners. John, I know one of the concepts you wanted to share with our listeners was interoperability. What can you tell us about that? Sure. So uh, interoperability permits the exchange of information between components of a system. So, for example, the ability to exchange emails, the ability to display an image on a television screen, the ability to use the global positioning system, with your car, navigation system you know, to help you drive to a new destination. So it's all about making it um, possible to use different vendors' equipment to allow for the exchange or the display or the reproduction of information in a way that would expect it to all work transparently. Um, interoperability amongst different vendors' products really empowers users to deploy components in a system with some degree of confidence that they'll work together and they work together properly. It provides users with choice. Uh, it enables diversity in system deployment, which is extremely important for reliability, availability, and for security. Without diversity, a single vulnerability could allow, for example, a breach of many different systems. It allows the effort required by an attacker to be much lower, uh, it, but it also increases the likelihood of a successful attack. So interoperability is all about protecting us from single points of failure. So when we're talking about cybersecurity uh, in particular, what are some of the challenges that we face when it comes to interoperability? Some of the challenges with uh, interoperability when we're talking about cybersecurity systems relate to ensuring that um, the algorithms we use, the data formats being used, the protocols for exchanging information, that they not only permit that exchange of information freely amongst the different systems, but that they also do it in a secure fashion. You know, there, there are many ways of exchanging information, um, some of which are, are more secure and some of which are less secure. So one of the real challenges is, is finding the appropriate interoperability standards that uh, are implemented correctly as well. All right, John Lisabor, thanks for sharing the information. We'll talk again soon. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.